Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. A second and ten. I see needs points for the conclusion of this first half. Williams, pressured, retreat, and out goes another interception. It's Benjamin Morrison who rises and picks it off right there in the sky. Hey, it's the same story. There's pressure off the side here. Creates a tough environment for Caleb Williams in the pocket. He's been so capable of making these plays, moving all over the place. Not tonight. Caleb Williams uh, with uh, one, not a great game for by his standards. Three interceptions, 199 passing yards, only one touchdown against Notre Dame. It's been a uh, a really interesting year for USC as USC suffered a, a loss at Notre Dame, 48-20. They host Utah this week. Ryan Abraham, our friend and the best on that beat, and you know I bring the best on the show, uscfootball.com, that's where you can read them. Ryan Abraham joining us. What's the fan base been like this week for you guys? Hey, John, thanks for having me. Um, it's been absolutely crazy. You know, for how many years, John, have we talked about USC just needs to get this right, hire a real AD, hire a real head coach. They shock the world, and they hire Lincoln Riley. They lose a game, and we have a portion of the fan base that's comparing him to Clay Helton at this point. It's unbelievable the fact that they, a lot of these USC fans are just really upset with what's going on. Yeah, I don't think the, the Trojans are trending in the right direction right now. There's certainly some signs of a national championship, uh, playoff quality type of team. It's a you know, second-year rebuild after a 4-8 and eight season. But it's still, you know, they're 17-4 under Lincoln Riley. And I, I just feel like some of the fans are just stuck in, like, the Clay Helton mode where they only, you know, the only option if you lose the game is to fire the head coach. It's really kind of bizarre, but I think a lot of the fan base, I think, is more reasonable. They're, they're kind of seeing this team what it is. It's a team that has warts and a team that has uh, – they definitely have some flaws, but certainly a lot of potential and the best player in college football. So you always have a puncher's chance, but they've not looked good the last few weeks. And uh, I don't know. I've never seen Caleb Williams look as bad as he did uh, Saturday night against Notre Dame. Yeah, give me an idea. Let's start with Caleb Williams. What is going on specifically in your mind with him – is it the receivers? Is it the offensive line? Is it how, how teams are defending him? Uh, what's, what do you see happening on the field? I think there's a combination of things. If the offensive line certainly isn't as good as last year. They lost a lot of veteran presence, and um, they felt like plugging and playing was going to work, but everybody's in a new position. Even the veterans they have coming back are playing new spots on that offensive line. So I think that's been a, a bit of an issue uh, and the wide receivers, too. I think Brendan Rice has stepped up a lot. Taj Washington's been uh, very dependable for Caleb Williams. But I thought a guy like Dorian Singer would come in and really be a huge part of this offense, and he hasn't been as big of a factor. Zachariah Branch, the true freshman, has looked electric. He hasn't been there all the time, but when he's there, he's made a big difference. But I feel like, too, that sort of like you it's, – it's almost like this is a team that you know Caleb Williams can kind of save your bacon no matter, no matter what goes on. And – Sometimes, you know, maybe even as a coach, it's like a rather you're sort of just kind of sitting back and watching him do his magic. And I think it's a lot to put on a, you know, a 21-year-old kid. So I feel like they need to, you know, on the, the offensive side, scheme things up a little better when things aren't exactly going your way. But they need the offensive line to play better for sure. And you'd like to see 
more of those wide receivers. Like I thought it'd be a really deep and talented wide receiver room, and it is. But not all those guys have been as productive as we would have thought coming in, especially a guy like Dorian Singer, who was second in the Pac-12 last year in receiving yards. We're talking to Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. Uh, the the rumors about what Caleb Williams might want in the NFL draft, if he even wants to be drafted, does he want ownership? Does he does he want brown M and M's in the bowl? All the you know all this stuff. I haven't heard it from him. How much? How do you sort through that, Ryan, as you're trying to cover it and find out what is just rumor and what might be really true as it pertains to Caleb's future and maybe the NFL? I think when you have like a college player that's kind of transcending the sport and is on national TV commercials, there's going to be a lot said uh, about him. Um, and I feel like that's a lot of that. When you talk to Caleb Williams or you see him just what, looking at his body language after a loss like that, he was visibly upset. I mean, he loves football. He wants to win more than anything. I don't think he's sitting around worrying about having partial ownership in an NFL franchise or anything like that. I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to he'll be the number one pick. He'll sign a four-year deal with a possibility of an extension and just sort of go from there. Uh, I, yeah, I don't put a lot of stock into a lot of this other stuff that's going on. You know, it, for him to come back to college, I mean, I guess there's a slight chance of something like that, but you want to get that rookie deal started as, as soon as you can. So I, I think there's just kind of a lot of hubbub around a guy that is just being talked about a lot because, uh, you know, all of his media stuff he does right now in college football. Report from a, another reporter in the USC media world saying Lincoln Riley may have been whispering about wanting to go to the NFL. What do you make of that? Uh, that was from a reporter that hasn't been a reporter for several years, hasn't been around the <laughs> team at all. So I don't put much stock uh, into that one. I mean, I, I, Lincoln Riley could go to the NFL for sure. I mean, I don't think that's like, you know, that would be a shock. I mean, you got Cliff Kingsbury get fired by the. Um, you know, Texas Tech and, and get an NFL head coaching job. But I feel like, you know, listening to what Lincoln Riley said, how, you know, he does like being in a bigger pond. It, it, he, I don't think he liked being the center of attention when he was in Norman and, and having a, a nice house in Palos Verdes and his kids like to go to Disneyland. And I feel like he is enjoying himself and wants the quality of life part of things. Like a, a Chris Peterson was, I think, similar. Um, so I, if he took, like, if, like, the Chargers had a job open, he could do that. I, I feel like he would like to stay in Los Angeles, mm. uh, but you never know. But, yeah, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in the whole, like, package deal going to the, the Bears or anything like that. We're talking to Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. This, this week's game with Utah has really got me tied in a knot. What do, you, what do you make of this game and how USC will respond after the loss to Notre Dame? I've been awful, John, at picking USC this year, just figuring out how they're going to play. I thought Stanford would keep it close, they'd blow them out. Then I would think they would blow out these other teams and they keep it close. I, You know, my gut is telling me, like, you can't, you can't, cut, like, Utah, you look at them, it's sort of like Iowa football, where they're not scoring any points, and you're like, but they still win. Utah keeps winning, you know, and, I, you know, until USC goes out and beats them, it's hard for me to pick that. I so if I had to, like, lean one way, I mean, I'd feel better about Utah coming in this one than I do USC. But would you be shocked if, like, Caleb Williams throws for six touchdowns and they get crazy and the defense plays a little bit better, they don't have Cam Rising, and a one-dimensional Utah offense just doesn't score that much? I could certainly see it happening, but that's a far cry from, like, what I think is really going to happen. It 
this is a huge game for me, John, and for USC and for Lincoln Riley. They, you know, they, they lost this team twice last year. You just got your butts beat uh, in South Bend. There's a very similar makeup of a team, Notre Dame and, and the Utes. So I think this is a really important bounce-back game for Lincoln Riley. They, they still want to win the Pac-12. They're undefeated in, in Pac-12 play, first place in the conference. But you got to win this one because you got Oregon, Washington, all those teams coming up. So it's a huge one, but I honestly have no idea. I, I don't ever be shocked at any kind of result from this one, John. Give me an idea of what you think is wrong on the defensive side of the ball and how frustrated is Lincoln Riley? Fans are frustrated, media are pointing it out, but I haven't heard it from him directly that, you know, would he make a would he make a change at the coordinator position? Yeah, he's been uh defending Alex Bridge for sure and the defense and you know, on some levels, you could, you know, I get what he's saying. I think the defense is better than last year. A lot of the fans and people are saying, no, it's just as bad. And I, we'll see. I think this stretch coming up is going to tell you a lot more. They didn't give up a lot to Notre Dame, but that's not a great offense. And Notre Dame didn't have to run a lot of plays because they had a whole bunch of short fields. So that's maybe not the, you know, something you really want to hang your hat on if you're Alex French. And to, to be honest, yesterday when he spoke, he wasn't really – uh, taking a victory lap or anything for not giving up that many yards to to Notre Dame. But I feel like better at the defensive front. Um, they're getting a lot more pressure. They're getting some tackles for loss. There's still deficiencies at linebacker. I don't understand their rotation. It seems like Eric Gentry, the AFU transfer, and Mason Cobb should be the starters. And neither of those guys even started last week. So it's, it's hard to tell why they're putting guys in when they are. Um, you know, the, the tackling has still been an issue, although they tackled really well against Notre Dame. And, you know, the secondary, just it's been kind of up and down for them too. So they've had a bunch of pieces. I think they're more talented than we saw them last year. But the, the results are still sort of like kind of hit and miss. If they can get a few stops, which they couldn't do last year, John, when Utah had the ball late in the game or Tulane had the ball, there was no way those teams were going to be stopped. They can't allow that to happen. So – if they, I, I think they can get more stops this year than last year. That's the big thing. But they're not, they're not like a, you know, uh, whatever, like NFL kind of defense. But I think they could be good enough if the offense is still good that they could, they could win the conference. But they just have to be better than they were last year. And right now, it's kind of been hit or miss if they've been that. Yeah, the next, uh, really, the next four weeks, it's Utah. It's a road game at Cal. It's Washington at home at Oregon. Uh, a lot of people up here, Ryan, talking about USC and Oregon and looking forward to that. And I think if they play that game right now, Oregon scores a million points. But uh, I still think these are always going to be great games and and uh, always really compelling. And I think, you know, Caleb Williams, anytime he's in a game, you know, I, I had a hard time picking against USC last week because I just thought he would outscore Notre Dame, and he didn't. Yeah, he's the one that gives you the chance no matter what and uh if, if you would not be shocked if he just went bananas in the game you're like oh my god that was caleb williams he had no time he ran for a touchdown or he found somebody open downfield he's just that kind of player and i think it was sort of a shock to the system uh you know looking at what how bad caleb williams was in that game against notre dame i think he pressed a lot i think he felt like there's no way we're going to win this unless i do it on my own and that just sort of backfired on him but he's been that special of a player, and they, he just needed some help around him. And, if, you know, if Lincoln Riley's right and they are going to be a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, they'd have to get a few stops up in Austin. They'd have to get some stops against 
that uh, amazing offense with Michael Penix and, uh, and and Washington. And if they can do that, and and Caleb Williams can stay, you know, at his amazing level, then they they have a decent shot. But that's a lot. It's a lot to ask of a college player. And I think last week, sort of everything just sort of kind of came together. It just it was too much on one guy. So I'm really curious to see how he sort of bounces back because he's never had a game like that that we've seen. So does he come back and play way better? Um, and this one, I kind of think he will play well. So if he does, I think it'll make it a really good game with USC. Yeah, tell me if I'm crazy. It feels like it's a very pivotal game for USC. Like if USC loses this game, maybe the wheels come off. If they win this game, maybe they pull it together. Then they've got Cal. They get it together. They get a chance to regroup in front of that gauntlet that is, you know, Oregon, Washington, UCLA. Am I reading that right? I think two separate things. You can still be crazy and think that. But, yes, I, I think you're kind of crazy, John. But I would say you're right in your assessment. Like, did, did, shouldn't this be, you know, a must-win game for a head coach that's 17-4, and four, that took over a 4-8 and eight program that's been in the – like, it shouldn't be. But it does feel like that it, because they, they put so much into this season, John, and they wanted to win especially this game. I mean, this was one that they showed film to, like, the freshmen that didn't know what this was like or the transfers. Hey, here's this is what happened last year. We have to, you know, this needs to be fixed. They put a lot into this one. So, can you bounce back from you know the biggest beatdown we've seen, uh, you know, at Notre Dame and and come through and play a good game? They're going to have to. It you know, in the grand scheme of things, not like must must win, but if you want to be in the go in the direction that this team has talked about going and championship aspirations and all that, especially going into the Big Ten next year. I think you got to win this game. Uh, it's at home. Utah's one-dimensional on offense right now. There's really no excuse not to win this one. And they're a seven-point favorite, even though they're ranked like four four places lower than Utah the eight people. There it is, Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. Ryan, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you, man. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Always good, always honest, tells it how it is, reports well on that team. You want to know what's going on with USC, follow Ryan Abraham on Twitter. I think it's a it's just such a pivotal game. It's it's I don't even think it's like about USC. Like I, I hate to say this cuz it flies in the face of my mentality, but it kind of feels like it's about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Maybe as much as anything that if they lose to Utah for a third straight time, look out. Do the wheels come off at USC? And what will USC be? what, three, four weeks as they play Washington and Oregon back-to-back. Washington and Oregon might score a combined 110, 120 points on that USC defense. It could be really ugly. Leave it here. Our big splash is next. I don't know if you're seeing news reports about Damian Lillard's marital life, filing for divorce, custody, all that stuff. Am I the only one that just is like, that's their business? I I shouldn't be reading about this. I'm not writing about it, that's for sure. And I'm only talking about it because I'm seeing other media outlets report on it like TMZ would report on it. Like, that's their business. Like, Stephen, am I the only one that's like, I don't really want to know that stuff. No, I'm with you. I, I don't really care about that stuff. I, I A lot of this, you know, the extra marital affairs or just marital affairs or any type of that stuff off the court, I, I really don't care about because it doesn't necessarily affect on the court and it is their business. Like, 
they can do what they want to do. They're they're grown ups. Like I I can't tell them what to do. Just like you know, I can tell my kids what to do, but I can't tell my wife what to do. So you know what, it, it is what it is, and they're it's their life. So yeah, I'm with you. I I don't care. I feel like we shouldn't know these details, but that's just kind of the world we live in in the celebrity life, I guess. And I I get it. That there's interest in it because anytime it's a celebrity person, people are like, "Ooh, what's going on in their household?" But like when I saw that he had filed for divorce or they're divorcing. I was not surprised. I had heard it months and months and months ago that, that they were estranged and felt bad for their kids. And now we're reading all these reports about, you know, this is what she said was happening and she was keeping up his image, his public image and all that. And I was like, I don't want to know this stuff. And, and so if you're looking for that kind of uh, material or content, at johnconzano.com or really to any any depth or extent on this show, you're not going to find it from me. I, I'm, I, just, I'm not interested. I will say this, though, John. I do think it is important to take this and learn from it and say, you know what, it, we look at these athletes as heroes and role models. A lot of them you shouldn't. And it, it, there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about that I'm sure you hear about. I've, I hear about things. I hear about people. And we shouldn't look up, up as them as their heroes. Like we can love them as a basketball player or a football player or a baseball player, but like they're not necessarily role models. It's the whole Charles Barkley thing back in the day. So I, I think that's the one lesson maybe we can learn is like you know what if that's true if that stuff that you know Dame's wife is saying you can't look at Dame as like this you know holy family man. But at the same time, you know what he's an awesome basketball player and I've loved him as a Portland Trailblazer. So you know it's it's one of those things where I care about him on the court. Yeah, I I just I've never thought of any of those guys as perfect or any different. In fact, I think it's really difficult for NBA players in particular to have normal lives, meaning they are generally identified at age 12, 13, 14 as basketball prodigies. They are they get a different upbringing, a different experience, people falling all over themselves because of their talent and telling them how great they are all the time and laughing at their jokes when they're not that funny and making a big deal when they do something like opening a door for a stranger and stuff that you and I and regular folks do all the time, you know, and I always laugh at it. Oh, Martel Webster pulled over in the snow and he helped a lady change her tire. This isn't that awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but I would expect like, you know, a 25-year-old person who was raised by parents and sees an old lady pulled over in the snow struggling to change her tire to take an interest in uh in uh you know that person's life like you know let's not give them a medal of honor let's just say hey that was that, yeah that was a nice thing to do and i hope other nice people would do that too but i always sort of shake my head at it because when you talk about professional athletes in general you know they uh they get a pretty clean path in our society and the bar is very low. And so I, you know, and I've seen enough in the NFL locker rooms and outside the NFL locker rooms, Major League Baseball clubhouses and outside the clubhouses and certainly in the hallways at Moda Center where, you know, some guys had families waiting for them and other guys had people that were not their family members waiting for them and had reputations as being great guys in the community and whatnot. And I was go, yeah, you don't really know. You don't really know, you know, and... And we find that out, you know, when Kobe went to Colorado, find that out, you know, all the time as you find things out about Michael Jordan. Just because you're a great athlete does not mean you're a great person. Um, I'm going to take some phone calls here. Mike in Portland has got a, is called in. What's up, Mike? 
Say, so John, you know, the thing about Damian Lillard that makes it so cold-blooded is that this woman had three kids by him, and from the reports, she's carrying his baby, so she's pregnant. And then he tells her in the uh, divorce uh, proceeding or settlement that she can't carry his last name. That's cold-blooded. She can't even have his last name. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.